On this episode, we talk about self-directed degrees, existential questions, and we wonder how many grading systems would Einstein and Jesus fail. Hello, gents and ladies, and welcome to Experiment Q podcast. I'm Tudor, your host, which means it's my job to interview world-class researchers, educators, entrepreneurs, and creatives who design amazing learning experiences all over the world. For everyone out there interested in education, this show is for you. Our guests for episode 17 of Experiment Q podcast are Sarah Bradley and Alan Webb, co-founders and key facilitators at Open Masters, a platform for community-powered and self-declared master degrees from Open Masters website. Quote, it's an unconventional education you design for yourself around the vision of the person you want to become. We use it to bring focus and structure to our long-term goals and to weave together all the different things we want to do to get there, such as reading, courses, work, travel, apprenticeship, and dream projects. End of quote. On this episode, we discuss community approaches to learning, liberation, the knowledge of self, offloading the mind of a teacher, the value of unmeasurable learning, and play the future of education through the eyes of two progressive policymakers. I would love to share special thanks for the team at Youth Initiative Program for facilitating the serendipity moment with Open Masters. Philip Greyer from EduShifts for connecting us to great educators in Sweden and the team at Cree Paris for their financial and research support. Now, please enjoy episode 17 of Experiment Q podcast recorded on April 11 in Jarna, Sweden. Sarah, Alan, thank you for the opportunity for this serendipity moment to be here at the same time and, and find about your story and, and your work. So thank you for, for sharing the time with us. So before we dive into the, the work that you do at Open Masters, we would love to share with our listeners and viewers on, on YouTube um, your personal stories and, and kind of the motivation why you started this project. And for that, you'll need the mic. So the first question is actually, uh, it's coming from the previous episode that we did in Denmark. Um, it's probably a bit philosophical because we talked to a philosopher, but he, <laughs> he, he asked us to pass the question to you, which is, huh. what's a true statement? For me, a true statement is an expression that resonates deeply in my body I can't pretend to fully know why mm. it has felt so powerfully. Like it, it indicates the mystery and the truth of the mystery without fully revealing itself. I wouldn't add anything to it. I would have said <laughs> something far less eloquent <laughs> with a similar idea. <laughs> All right. So what is the absolute shortest version of your life story? A curious boy couldn't help learning and following that wherever it took my feet and brought me more challenges and opportunities to grow than I could ever have possibly planned for myself. A girl who wanted 
to learn and experience everything. Went on a journey to find like-hearted souls <laughs> and continues to search for the integration of those things as a means of transforming herself and the world she lives in. Wow, that's deep. Thanks for sharing. Now, this one, it's probably easy for you. Why education? Mm. Why learning? If we expect to have different kinds of leaders as a society, business leaders, political leaders, um, even uh, within our communities or families, we need a kind of learning that reflects who we want those leaders to be. Mm. And I began my inquiry that led to the Open Masters um, in the world of entrepreneurship and in the world of um, corporate sustainability and in um, all of these different places where people believed a different world, world was possible. I came to believe that none of none of it was possible if we didn't address the way we learned first. Mm. Yeah, we work together, so we have similar ideas about this. But um, <laughs> I would just add the language of in order to change the world and transform the world, we need to start with ourselves mm. and our own minds and our own patterns. And if we hope to sh shift systems, we have to shift culture. And if we hope to sh shift culture, we have to shift ourselves in the way that mm. we might approach the world and the way we might even approach our own lives. Um, and so learning to me feels very foundational to any kind of systems change that we want to do or see or inhabit in the world. And starting with ourselves, um, what did you learn this year already that had a like a aha wow effect on you? <laughs> <laughs> You can start. <laughs> it was a big year. The most profound truths and discoveries have no words. And so the deepest place you can get in a community, the deepest place you can get in a relationship, the deepest learning you can get to in yourself is actually found in moments of quiet. And that that can radically reframe your life if you let it. There's a lot to choose from, but the one that's coming to mind is um, that in learning community, like the moment that, that you really need something, that you need support and you needed to rely on the trust you have um, for the people in your community is the moment that the community is made and mm -hmm. happens. It's like the moment we're tested in, um, in showing up for each other as learners and as friends and as collaborators is, is the moment when that, that container is actually like, you can really see it and you can really feel it. Um, and it feels really good to feel it. So talking about feelings, um, <laughs> it's, it's a deep start. We actually, we actually got some feedback from the last interviews that uh, we shouldn't like open the discussion with these questions. <laughs> like maybe <laughs> end it, but it's it's fun. Sure. We enjoy it. <laughs> um, please continue this sentence. When I fail, I do what? When I fail, I think the first thing that happens is I feel it in my body. It's like, bah! 
<laughs> freak out. And then there's this release. I think I laugh. I, I like to mm. hold failure lightly because I think without failure, we're actually not trying anything that is just beyond ourselves. And we're not, we're not allowing ourselves to grow or learn um, if we're staying within the safety of success. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think I don't like the feeling of failure at first. <laughs> I, I like to succeed and I like to feel like uh, what I'm doing is, is on track with my intentions. But after that brief moment of panic, <laughs> I think um, I tend to try to brush it off and, and, f and search for the humor and the, mm. and the, um, the kind of humanity of it. Like, oh, joy, I get to be a human in this moment. I get to experience this. One of the um, champion advisors <laughs> of one of our projects this year, Sheena, taught us, which she learned from um, a member of our community, Sandra, which she learned from Buddhism, to watch for the second arrow. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which you shoot at yourself actually. And mm -hmm. I've been trying to do that recently, but the, the truthful answer is when I fail first, I tighten up in my body and then I blame myself mm -hmm. and then I, then I go into a spiral of self judgment <laughs> and I make myself the worst person in the world <laughs> and, a, and a total failure <laughs> who obviously just always messes everything up that I touch um, that's the second arrow or part of it. And, um, thankfully I'm learning some different ways now, which starts with finding my breath, finding my, finding my back, mm. finding my posture, um, breathing for a few minutes and trying to get, uh, perspective on it. And usually if I can do that, if I can remember that, I can very quickly start to go back to a place of, um, appreciation that like, wow, I'm being taught something. I'm being shown something. I mm. am learning something. I'm thankful for this and I'm thankful for this person or this mistake and, um, can find the, the right way to apologize if apology is needed. And also, um, also forgive myself too, which is just as important half the time. So, mm. So you kind of build a bridge to my next question, which is on the opposite side, what is success to you? Success to me is learning to live in balance with nature and myself and um, my community and those I love and listening for um, what I'm appreciating more and more as the wisdom of Li or Tao, um, like a natural order of things. And so success to me means being, being in balance with the natural order of things and listening for the opportunity to do that in every moment. And I think I'm giving, giving up a lot of more ambitious ideas of what success mm. needs to be about like a, some sort of accomplishment orientation and something more of a being orientation. Like success means doing that in in each interaction and um, um, that is a lifelong practice and a, a big insight for me recently is that that sort of pursuit of um, 
balance and natural order of things actually is directly connected to um, success for me means um, contributing to a more equitable world. Mm -hmm. So equity and justice is an expression of the Tao. Um, and I, that's just coming together for me recently. So I'm starting to appreciate how that impulse is something that I feel like is actually rooted in nature and I hope to work towards in my life. You had to use my I Ching answer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we spent a lot of time together. <laughs> um, I think uh, success for me right now um, means both accepting and celebrating and nourishing the part of me that uh, is really ambitious and wants to think about these big mm -hmm. things and and like let that let that person that part of me play and have material to work with and things mm. to collaborate on and like a long leash um and to not have that be the only part of me that gets to play mm. um that also um listens for the balance with other parts of my life that are nourishing and um and and part of that is my own my own spiritual journey and my journey with with family with community with with place and land and um with making things with my hands really tangibly um and so yeah success for me means mm. allowing both of those things the the many multitudes of of myself to 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 have a, a part in the play of my life and um and yeah i would i would add just like listening for the the honest navigation of that natural order of things of when do i want to just be really receptive to the world you know and and inhabit that that uh, yin and energy and when do i want to be firm in myself firm in what i want to contribute to the world firm in my beliefs in 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 especially when it comes to justice and equity, how do I show up in those things? Mm. Um, but what does that navigation look like between, you know, yin and yang and between firm and yielding, the natural order of things and um, looking to other wisdom traditions and the, and the traditions perhaps that, that are behind me in my own ancestry or lineage is part of, mm. for me, what... Um, what this chapter of my life is really about is is really connecting to those deeper sources that can help show me different ways of approaching that, of that navigation. Thank you guys for sharing this segment <laughs> with us, which uh, a lot of people talk about work-life balance, but to me, it's really very well connected. So yeah. hopefully for, for folks who are listening or, or seeing this, it gives a foundation for the next uh, mm. part of the interview which is the open masters mm. so in this um, next segment it's not uh, necessarily that you both answer every single question it depends on your intuition whoever picks the microphone first <laughs> 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 we just do it so um, when it comes to learning slash education because I, I still don't know how to use the words correctly a lot of people use both some people say it's a very different thing um, a lot of people agree that it's kind of broken and a lot of people 
talk about um, the the problems, but I will flip it and I will ask what what solution are you part of, and and what's the wisdom behind Open Masters? The Open Masters is not a new idea, but it is the current manifestation in one form for one particular community of need of a long history of what we call popular education. Mm. Some people call liberatory learning, um, which owes its history to oppressed people responding to institutional exclusion or failure Mm. to meet their needs or to welcome them, creating their own solutions at the margins of those institutions. And um, so the the folks that we, the, the solution that we're a part of are uh, really inspiring people who, be- who believe that it is possible to create beloved community in response to or as an alter- alternative to places where cult- cultures might have become calcified or toxic or even oppressive. Mm. And that learning is one of the most powerful venues in which we can do that work because it is about transformation. And so to us, that also puts us in a, puts us in a camp of grassroots, grassroots educators, which we think everyone who's a part of the Open Masters is a grassroots educator, Mm. (laughs) um, who, um, who think that an education is not just about, um, what I learn for my personal benefit, but an education is about what I, the gifts I've received uh, from many, many people and generations in order to be able to be doing what I am in the world. And for that great gift, we are asked by our education to think about how our education can also contribute to and transform the world around us. Um, so it comes with a, comes with a, the crew, the crew we hang with, it comes with a charge. You got to be asking yourself, what is, who is your education in service of? How does it serve collective liberation? Uh, what does that mean to you? What are you liberating, liberating yourself from? And what are you um, liberating yourself towards? What are we creating together to create more whole and human communities? Those are the kinds of questions that underpin our education. And we're really lucky to be walking in a long line of really powerful educators, much more powerful than us, I think, who have modeled that at critical rights and um, previous and current freedom movements and liberation movements. On the website, you kind of tell the story and how it started with the community, kind of decentralized uh, points all around the world of people who take charge of their own education and kind of create their own master. But can you recall now the moment when you decided, uh, the two of you, to step up and do it full-time like what, what what was going on in your mind or, or in your life that you said okay this is what I want to do a hundred percent so I had been um part of the open masters I was organizing I was organizing a group in San Francisco and had been on these cross-pollination calls with organizers all around the world, people who are passionate about grassroots education. And we were having these three-hour conversations, five-hour conversations every two weeks about, mm. about education, about learning, about learning communities. And, and what are we doing here? Like, what does this mean? And um, I could tell that I was so, I was so um, lit up by this. 
And um, for me, I could see very clearly. And I think the reason I was so lit up by it was because I was so clearly seeing or feeling the political and economic implications of mm. what does this kind of freedom mean for society as a whole? What happens if people start with the kind of self-awareness and the kind of um, critical analysis of their own historical context and the kind of community building that we're doing? Like, what does that mean to do that kind of mass capacity unleashing and imagination unleashing? Um, and so for me, I was just so excited about it. And um, Alan and I had been on these long calls and, and talking about it a lot. And um, we, uh, he'd flown out to San Francisco all the way from Virginia um, <laughs> to, to organize this steward gathering of other organizers. So we'd, we'd wanted to bring everyone together. And um, we were sitting at this cafe and it was after we'd already had maybe like a five hour, you know, <laughs> previous conversation with lots of beer and lots of like gesticulation and drawing on napkins and, you know, very. I think it was all coffee in my memory. Oh, was no, there no, there was beer. There was oh. beer. Yeah. At, at the Grove. At the Grove. Oh. There was the Grove night. But that was, that a, was a, a, a separate trip. Yeah. But we anyways, we'd had some like caffeine and alcohol fueled uh <laughs> Big conversations, basically, <laughs> about about everything that we were building and very passionate speeches, as, as you might imagine. <laughs> to an audience of one. <laughs> to an audience of one. And, um, yeah, and we were, um, we were sitting in this cafe, and I had just um, actually experienced uh, a, quite a tragedy in my life, which was mm. um, one of my best friends had suddenly um, passed away in an accident. And so, you know, I was thinking about, you know, what is what is my life mm. and what is it to be alive and what do I want to do with the time that I have here? And um, I had already been thinking a lot about Open Masters and wanting to move more energy towards it. But I think at that moment it became really clear that this is what I want to do. And so we were sitting at a cafe and we were talking for like five hours and it became really, we'd been making all these plans for Open Masters and it became really clear that what was happening. And so I just turned to Alan and I asked him, you know, are we getting work married? <laughs> That's what you did, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I proposed and he said yes. <laughs> It's a beautiful story. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, you know, the, the important part of the story to mention is that we went to this steward gathering with other organizers and and asked for their blessing <laughs> mm. <laughs> and and they said yes too um just because you know we really wanted to put more energy into building what could serve the community and and they mm. saw that and i want to i wanted to say here happy end but it's not the end of the story i guess it's just the start of it so um i'm, I'm really curious but uh, how many years ago th that was like like four and a half four and a half so yep. four and a half years past that moment of proposal in a, in a cafe. Um, on the website, we can see that you've developed some tools and you have certain methods of uh, navigating through the Open Master and helping people uh, organize their own learning. Um, maybe you can talk what these tools are exactly. And then how did you build the expertise? Like, how did you come up with 
the ideas and the tools that you have today. It's very important to mention that everything that the Open Masters does or has developed some kind of tool or process or method that we can share with others around was the response of us being creative together as a community to meeting our own needs. And so they're always a response to a question. We, mm. we didn't preemptively design anything. We didn't preemptively design a curriculum. Every member of the Open Masters designs their own curriculum. And it is inevitable that as you do that, people will run into um, challenges with um, even just the simplest question of, what do you want to learn? Mm. We found in the very beginning when we were designing a master's degree for ourselves, <laughs> um, very very quickly becomes an existential question. And um, we knew that we needed a lot better tools for asking ourselves um, about the essence of the learning we wanted to do and the why behind it. And so we incorporated things that we brought from our life experience, from other existing methodologies and we also made shit up <laughs> and and the stuff and the stuff that worked we kept doing uh, we tried a thousand metaphors along the way and whether it's the boat or the hiker or whatever and some of them stuck we really like the hiker um and so um over time when we put those into writing so that other members of our community could have some place to start other people also wanted them Mm. Um, other communities said we actually, you know, struggle too in our community to, you know, be more self-directed in our learning intentions and plans or to articulate shared learning intentions as a community. And so, um, we developed the Wayfinder kit, um, close to three years ago now as a way to share some of those tools with other individuals and, com and communities who want to um, be more intentional about their self-directed learning process. Mm. Um, and so now you can find those in lots of other places, uh, lots of other schools and mm. um, elder groups and youth groups. And When it comes to self-directed learning, um, in your case, you do a lot of work through community. So maybe that's part of the, the answer to my next question. But the question sounds... Like this, what are some of the biggest struggles and challenges that you've noticed um, people face when trying to organize their own education? And what could be some of the solutions to overcome them? I'll just get started and you can type <laughs> in. I think there are a few common ones. As Alan mentioned, the question, what do you want to learn, can quickly become a bit of an existential question of like, well, who are you? Right. And and then that becomes kind of a scary question to answer. Mm. Um, and so uh, I think I think sometimes people run into challenges as to how to articulate their learning intentions um, without feeling perhaps the pressure of defining themselves. Um, and so I think some of the things that we have worked on in terms of the frameworks or the tools that we provide or the way that we facilitate um, any of our programs or facilitate in communities like the one we're in now is, is to really focus on, on strengthening that, that, that sense of self knowledge mm -hmm. and a comfort with taking it to the next step without it being the final answer with whatever mm -hmm. is there present with you now, 
is like there, there's enough there and that we don't need to have the final answer as to, okay, well, this is the destination and this is who I, and, and this means that I am this person, but instead mm-hmm. to have, um, yeah, a sense of, of, of ease and comfort with the present now and, and, um, what's really calling you right now. Other things that I would mention is, are that, um, sometimes people can be in an exploratory phase and, um, feel like that isn't a learning journey in and of itself. Mm. Um, and so like, sometimes I think we like run into, uh, run into hesitation around even just having a discovery phase be part of the learning journey itself. Um, I'd add that people often want to just like jump right in sometimes into the open masters. They're like, I have this plan and I want to do this and this and this. And quite often it can be something that maybe they don't really want to do, but has been so conditioned to like, Oh, this is the answer to the question. Like, what do you want to be when you grew up? And this is an acceptable answer. And so, um, one of the solutions that we often use there is is asking for radical pause for actually stopping to reflect and and let things be dormant have non-doing as your plan for like 2 months you know have set a date by which you will not make a decision as to you know what program you're going to apply to or what job you're going to apply to so that you can let the seeds of what's already inside you grow and um and show themselves, reveal themselves. And then lastly, I'd say um, self-directed learning can be hard if you don't have a, a, a community that's really present. And it can be hard to share what you're learning. Um, you know, there isn't a teacher saying, show up for the test or the exam. So you really have to create your own mechanisms within community to to harvest what you're learning and, and share what you're learning. And so, you know, there are lots of, there are lots of ways that we've, um, that we've created things to, to answer that question. I Mm. I think in some ways, like that's the whole, that's the kit and so many other things that we institute in our programs, but that's also a big challenge. One of the question that I, I tried to connect from your multiple answers. So (laughs) you, you said at the beginning that, when you mention an aha learning moment, you said some of the deepest learnings have no words, they occur in silence. Mm-hmm. Then um, you, you, Sarah, mentioned that uh, it's very important to have a community and to be able to express mm-hmm. what to learn. So both of which I love and I am a big fan of. Um, but now I'm tra- trying to translate it in, in, in the, let's say, the common uh, mm-hmm. society where you learn something, uh, you get measured, you have a grade, that's your interface mm-hmm. of what you learn towards the world. When we go that deep and we, when we open doors to existential questions, what, what language do we use to express our learning? Like, is there, can, can we learn that? Uh, is there like a common set of practices or it's really up to each person and that's about it <laughs> feels like welcome to the question from which all <laughs> religions and philosophies were born <laughs> <laughs> all right we can explore it <laughs> 
we don't have limits here. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I, mean, I would just add, I feel like in some ways the community aspect can hold the ineffable, mm. the things that can't be spoken with words because they're felt. And so if you're sitting in a circle with your your peers and your comrades in learning, there can be something that is experienced that you won't mm. be able to describe. Some aspect of your learning or your collective learning that is just known in another way. Um, and I do think that there are some ways in which that can can be expressed without words. And there are people within our communities that do an incredible job of helping our community express its learning in mm. movement and in art and in song and in creating a fabric, creating a space, creating, um, yeah, creating a, a ritual. And um, those <laughs> kind of like more spiritual elements of yeah. like how learning is integrated can happen in tangible ways without words. I just I can't necessarily say like, well, this is what it means because that's what art is for. Mm. And, um, and then I would say that, you know, that invitation stands also for the individual that mm. they can, they can choose the way in which they share what their learning has meant. And sometimes that can use, they can use words and sometimes they cannot, and they can mm. put it all out there. They can put that portfolio out there. And let other people either ask them questions about it or have their own have their own judgments. But the learning wasn't for them, anyways. Mm. That's cool. I love this conversation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's imagine now. I'm, I'm just trying to to empath empathize empathize. Uh, okay. Emphasize or empathize? Empathize. Empathy. All right. So let's imagine. Actually, I'll step back. So while being here for this couple of days, it felt like a gift. Like it's a privilege to be here, to have the space to express yourself by, you know, singing and in sports and painting and cooking and so much more. Um, but imagine, let's say you are a bored teenager in a public school where nobody really asked you ever what you're passionate about and, you know, like these deeper questions. And suddenly you figure out by browsing the internet that uh, there's uh, open masters and you can self-design your own education. But uh, you don't really have people to talk to in the school and you don't really have access to a community that is so open and you have the stage to self express what would you do get up stand up <laughs> stand up for your rights <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> and then organize okay so that's yeah um it's it's um it's a long tradition um in different different um institutional settings around the world where when when the school is not meeting your needs i mean if you asked them them being the faculty the mm. administration 
they're guessing anyway. They're trying to meet your needs, but they don't really know anyway. No one really knows what you individually need. If it's not meeting your needs, mm. tell somebody. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be happy to know. <laughs> and I understand that there are all kinds of barrier, barriers you'll run into. But um, I think one of the most beautiful and powerful things um, that can happen in a school is when students say, um, uh, respectfully when possible and sometimes more forcefully when necessary. Um, um, we have some, we have some other ideas about what we want to learn and how we want to learn them. And we would like to propose them. And if they can't be heard, we will just make them happen. Mm. Um, and there's this funny way that even institutions that might be resistant to those things at first can very quickly become appreciative of those and we're asked to go to some pretty formal institutions and share <laughs> the methods we use in a grassroots setting mm. uh, with them because there is something and there's something more alive and more inspiring when institutions can get out of their own way enough to support the students that have that impulse and um, so mm -hmm. um, I would add that it feels really important if I'm that student that one, I find that alternative narrative. Mm. It feels really important to um, ignite the imagination for what's possible because if I'm in that school setting and I don't know that something else could exist, it's going to be really hard to make that ask, to mm. make that demand, to organize the students. Mm. And so, um, you know, my hope is that if a student, you know, comes across an inspiring organization or community or website, you know, including our own, that that it would mean, you know, perhaps that they reach out and try and get connected to other people who are like them. I, I hope that we could be a support like that. But more than that, I hope it would help them imagine what mm. that kind of education could look or feel like in their own setting. And feel the sense of agency in being able to organize it themselves and say, okay, if this kind of thing is possible, if I have now this imagination for this, who else can I bring mm -hmm. alongside mm -hmm. in this imagination and, and, and make it happen? Um, what other students in my class mm -hmm. could, could I get together with and talk about these things with? Um, so so yes, get up and stand up, but there's there's also a step there that we're assuming, which is that they come across that story, that they mm. come across that possibility. Mm. Let's stay with that student for a bit. Um, Sorry, you mentioned something that I liked a lot when you said when you work with the group, uh, it's enough what's there already, like um, their understanding of themselves. Um, but... Often when people didn't have the space either in the family or the school to ask these questions, um, how do you, can you suggest some, some like steps for the student or some activities where they could open up these questions and build, have clarity of who they are? If there are some exercises or tools mm. that you can suggest. I know that the work that you do is takes days and it's much longer, but if you could just give that student an advice. Certainly. I mean, there are definitely a whole, a whole series of things that I could suggest, but just quite simply, um, 
identifying your why, like what's motivating you, um, feels like there are many, there are many doors in. And one that I find just really simple is asking yourself like, well, what do you want to do or what do you want to learn? Write that down Mm. and then ask yourself why. And then write that down, write that answer down and then ask yourself why again Mm. and keep going until you have this one long run on sentence that basically says, I want to do this or I want to learn this because dot, 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 because dot, dot, dot. And then suddenly you're going to get at this very deep motivation that runs perhaps into family, perhaps into what you feel like your gift is to the world or your purpose. And so that's, I mean, that's a fun place that that I would suggest starting, but um, uh, I'll try and think if there are any others that are just like popping to mind. Do you have one that you want to suggest for that student? I think it's a good, it's a simple start. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, this credit to Mr. Toyota who developed the five wise method as it's known and was spread in business culture. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Gratitude for that. (laughs) Now I was uh, wondering while also listening uh, to some of your activities here, it looks like a very intense experience for you. So I wonder how do you get energy to listen to all this and then kind of offload so it doesn't conflict with your own, you know, mm. thinking and, and being. Um. I feel like, well, we've probably touched on this at some point in our like five years of knowing each other, but um, something that you should know about Alan and I is that we're both kind of energizer bunnies. <laughs> like, you know, like the commercial, like yeah, we can yeah. just keep going. <laughs> um which which is kind of a a a a privilege a a benefit a perk um of just (laughs) pure chance Mm. um that genetics yeah and um and so that's one piece of it um but i do think um it has become more and more important to like take care of ourselves and like hold boundaries um Mm. so that so that we can yeah, have the walk after the full day of facilitation and be with ourselves and process mm. on our own and um, tend to our own learning goals. And yeah. that's that's been a really big piece out of, I mean, actually, your wow question. Um, that was a big part of our last year is just recognizing the ways in which we had spent so much energy building what we were building and, and, um, what we were working on that, that in some ways we were doing less and less of our own like separate Mm. learning journey. Mm. And so I think that is something that is really key to being an organizer in a learning community is actually also being a learner and letting Mm. yourself have that space, you know, giving yourself the Friday afternoons to just devote to your learning, you know, even if you're spending the rest of the week. I see. organizing the community the the reason i ask this question is that for a lot of teachers we talk to they say it's kind of it's it's just business it's my job i go there from hour to hour i do my thing mm. i'm afraid to get too personal because i mm. i can be judged because i ask personal questions but also if i get all these stories all these insights it's a lot of load on me and i have my own life and i have my own family and and so on so I was wondering if 
especially for you, because you go that deep in the existential questions, how do you make sure you kind of offload and, and stay kind of present and energized? I want to be <clears throat> transparent that it's really hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, because of that, maybe I do have something to offer. I was just reflecting on whether... Um, I the the other piece of the energizer bunny <laughs> side <laughs> is um co-creation mm -hmm. um is really I mean if you think if you think about it like the whole universe is <laughs> a co-creation <laughs> and it's a really deep kind of you know melding with a person to like <laughs> go into their dreams with them and um and um, I like to f just fully give myself to that and, and like, yeah, like, yeah, like that dream is exciting and let's, let's imagine it and like, let's make it real. And what are the steps? And by the end of it, I can hardly remember whether it's their dream or mine. It's like, you know, we're, we're in this like tango of dreams together and I, I do that all the time. It's my job. So, um, so I actually, I find that I can get really unhealthy. I can get really out of balance if I mm. don't periodically check in and try to remember um, which dreams I've somehow incorporated into myself that mm. are not actually my dreams, mm. but are someone else's. And one of the simplest questions <laughs> that um, has really, really helped me with this comes from Quakers, which is just simply, um, is this mine or am I carrying it for others? Mm. Um, and it, I can return back to that over and over again as a way to just, um, remind myself like, oh yeah, I got really excited about that dream or that project with that person. And I'm really happy that I could carry that for a moment with them and, and watch them carry it forward now. And it's not mine. Mm. I'm going to release that. Um, or an even simpler version of that, that I learned from my friend Christine, which she pointed out is a, a sort of profoundly deep question that you could spend your whole life answering every single day is just, um, what is me? What is not me? Just <laughs> all the time <laughs> asking. <laughs> and, and I would add, um, this was a, this was a thing that mm. actually, this was a, a common thing, um, that led to us creating a whole program mm. more like, like, people were organizing learning communities and finding themselves in this role that sometimes could feel like a chaplain mm. and a counselor and all of these things mixed up in one. And it was kind of like, oh my gosh, what are the, what is the, um, what is the internal training or, or mm. uh, that I need in order to host and hold that space for someone? And, mm. um, and that in, in combination with a lot of other factors led us to kind of creating a program where people could, could do the spiritual formation work that was necessary for the, for the very um, different kind of ministry that they were doing in the world, including hosting learning community and, and co-creating learning community. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the struggle was real because you're also, sh you're sharing struggle and you're sharing key pieces of yourself and huge dreams with, with all these people. And it's all in this big melting pot. And so, um, with all these different dynamics too. So, um, 
yeah, we, we realized that we needed to uh, really equip ourselves differently. Thanks, guys, for sharing this because it's uh, something I was reflecting a lot. Whether this kind of deep work can, can be expanded and what kind of training would people need to really be able to navigate this and not get confused or overwhelmed. So thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Now let's try to step into a new segment, which is more looking into the future. So from your point of view, from the experiences that you have today, what do you think is happening in this education learning environment? And, and if you had to imagine couple of decades what do you think will happen open masters everywhere (laughs) 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 i think finland is on it and i'm going to follow their lead Mm. and that is a vision that the university can serve the world in a really different way by thinking of itself as a place that people uh, come and go from as they need periodically throughout their life through different chapters. Uh, I think that it is really helpful to have institutions, hubs of learning, learning communities for people to go to when you decide you want to be a scientist or you decide you want to be a philosopher or you decide you want to be a gardener. We need places to go. Um, I think it, I think that learning can happen in a lot of other places, um, on farms and, in um, you know, we're in a, in basically, a um, kind of residential farm learning community here at the moment. Mm-hmm. And this is a powerful hub of learning where people come when they're 19 to 26 years old to do some deep trans personal transformation work before they then go out in the world and have some experiences, that should take them even further to that. And then they should mm. be able to go in and equip themselves with um, some practical technical skills or um, whatever else their learning calls them to next. So I hope that um, I hope that we'll be part of in the scheme of the next 20 years, um, people feeling enough spaciousness to um, uh in what it means to be a learner, to, to mm. breathe into each of those phases with, um, with ease. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm in the exploratory phase where I should be doing deep personal mm. work. And that's where I should be right now. And the universities that are out there or the learning programs that are out there support me in doing that. And I know that I can come back later for what I need after this phase of my life, this chapter of my life. I also would love that, love to see that, um, Um, you asked about the struggles of self-directed learners. Um, I would love to see that we are very, um, supportive of learners as a world and that, um, you know, whether it's a universal basic income or, uh, some kind of, um, uh, Finland is on that too, right? <laughs> there we go. Um, or, uh, you know, a, a, a credit system that you can, you, you have tokens to cash in over the course of yeah, your life yeah. for different education, different points. Who was that? Um, I can't re- remember right now. Um, um, but that um, it's not a financial 
stress yeah. to yeah. choose to be a self-directed learner. Again, you you made a bridge to my next question, which was kind of the future of work uh, as well. So the system that we have now, the, the education system, it was pretty much created to create workers uh, after the, the Industrial Revolution. And pretty much right now, what we see uh, it is as a society is these blocks of skills that you stack together and you go on the market and you sell them for uh, income so you can have a life. If we detach work from education, what other purpose would it would it have? I think it's I think it's interesting because education has been a- around a lot longer than the industrial revolution. And so there was there was education before there was a need for factory workers. And so um, to me, the purpose of an education is older than to create soldiers and to create someone who will, mm. you know, put in a punch card and and um, yeah, kind of be the functionary in, in various ways. And not that that's all that education has served um, of late at all. I'm not that much of a cynic, but um, I do think that with the advance of um, AI and f- of other technologies as if, if work is indeed to be freed up um, or freed from humans needing perhaps to do quite a lot of it, there's going to be a lot of, um, let's just say, I think that could quite uh, fuel a revolution of mm. many different forms. Um, and I think that could go badly and I think that could go um, mm. really beautifully too. Um, and so I think what's important is, as Alan says, to support learners and to support humans in their learning process, knowing that that doesn't, that, that can, that is a a valid purpose in and of itself. It doesn't need to be in order to have X type of workers. It can be, um, around deeper questions of what an education is Mm. for. Is it about, is it about creating workers or is it about creating people who can um, live together in a society? Um, Mm. Is it about citizenry, about global citizenry or local citizenry? Is it about becoming an ethical person who um, has deeply considered what it is to be alive and what it is to make choices and therefore is taking that awareness into the way that they are with each other in, in their communities Mm. Um, in their families and so I think having a more holistic picture of well you know in education sure it's helpful in in getting work but it's also really helpful in just how I relate to the person sitting next to me it's also really helpful in how I relate to the ground underneath my feet Mm. Um, and so I hope that that um, in some ways the future of education points to um, things that we haven't haven't even considered mm. um, as possible like creatively and and in terms of what we invent and 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 what we invent in terms of how to organize ourselves mm. and I hope that the future of education of learning can also point to the things that we've that we've lost but that we perhaps desperately need mm. And um, to me, that's a connection to 
our environment and the the world around us and that's a connection to family and community and mm. and history um you know we were just in a conversation a little bit ago uh about you know the oral tradition and how so much of that has been has been lost yeah. and and how story was such a mechanism for I was listening today you mentioned a book about this uh, can you recall the title or maybe you can share the link On and we walking can together or Paula <laughs> Paula Anderson okay we can put the link to, but, to the book but there's also a whole like yeah but um yeah and so I think there's I think there's a lot that we've forgotten or been actively severed from in terms of ways of being mm. um that we no longer use that we desperately need and I hope that by decoupling work and learning we can remember those things mm. or we can collectively remember those things as as you mentioned this i, I recall two metaphors that uh, i was listening to recently one was um, the home of lost genius mm. where everything that we don't develop within ourselves is lost and so the, the genius doesn't doesn't come together because we have lost parts mm. somewhere in the world mm. and then I, I believe it was ken robinson on ted mm. stage saying that we became walking machines for our heads and nothing else than this is yeah. developed um next i have some questions that inspired very much our research which is uh, about kind of visualizing and uh, reflecting learning now you mentioned something that relates to tokens Mm -hmm. And and you, Sarah, said um, mentioned the respect for every single learner. So let's imagine and and kind of an utopian scenario that every learning path it's equal. So it doesn't matter if you go to school or if you do your own master. Or uh, first is what would take that this is the case in our society, and and on the opposite, why do we hold so much to credentials and certificates and and kind of this tools to discriminate learners, basically. Maybe it's a, it's a two-part question. <laughs> it was Ivan Illich, thankfully remembering, de-schooling society. Yeah. It was the tokens idea. The thing about measuring is, for me, measuring for who and for what purpose. Mm. And there are a lot of methodologies for measuring that are about creating a more power, powerful mirror and a more powerful trail of breadcrumbs for the learner and mm. a reflection of who and how they've been and um, who and how they might be. So I think that a lot of the systems of measurement that we have developed, as you and Sarah have both pointed out, is um, have met a have met an in, have met a need of an industrial logic uh, that had to do with standardization and um, quality control and things like that. And I don't know about you, but I don't much enjoy being quality controlled. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I enjoy <laughs> um, I enjoy being told where I can grow. Mm. And I be in, enjoy being told um, where I have exceeded myself. And I enjoy um, elders and mentors with many more years of wisdom telling me, here's what else you might explore um given where you are and here's where you're actually really falling short and i think you should examine this um mm -hmm. and um i'd love to um not conflate um 
um, those two, those two things as, um, as the same when we think about measuring. Uh, but yeah, there's something, there's something maybe even on a deeper level for me about also just like recognizing that it is our work, uh, when we create learning environments to, um, yeah, challenge and tease Mm. out the best possible learner in every person and what system helps serve that. Um, Mm. and, but at the same time, trusting that this person has a path to walk that no Mm. one can know but them. And so we can't ever possibly design a one size fits all solution to be able to understand, um, whether they have or they haven't met them, you know, like what, what measurement system, how many measurement systems did Albert Einstein fail? How many measurement systems <laughs> would Jesus have failed? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> these, <laughs> um, and, um, so, um, yeah, I, I think that something, something that, to, something that is happening in open masters is we're actually having to rediscover, a self-confidence and like creating a story and putting out a story for the world of like, this is what I learned. Um, you can, you can ask me, uh, to relate that to other forms of measurement if needed. (laughs) Um, but, um, um, trying to rebuild that confidence as a society to trust people when they say, I have this experience and let me show you. Mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, People are different and some people are going to be really motivated by tokens and wanting to collect, collect them in different places or, or like create a composite of, of what their learning looks like in a hyper quantitative way. Um, and I think part of me, um, part of me hopes that that can be like nurtured and that another door might be opened so mm. that people can recognize that they aren't a, a, a group of numbers or um, they aren't a, a grade letter and they aren't a certain number of badges. Like they are so much more than that and their education is so much more than that. Um, it, mm. it has social elements. It has um, um, spiritual elements. It has physical elements. Like it, it can be so much more than, mm. than what so many of those things measure. And so I hope that, you know, when we talk about how those things are weighed that really the other forms of of showing what we have learned are just as valid as the ones that are really easily measured in in numbers or in data um so i see now you alan mentioned um ivan Illich. And there are two ideas in contrast that I would love to mention and would be great to know where you stand. So Ivan Ilyich basically says we need to close all the schools and even the Ministry of Education and um, take the resources from the government and give it directly to people so they could organize their own learning. Uh, He doesn't say that we should kill schools as learning spaces. He actually advocates for learning spaces um, that are more like this uh, attraction parks that you go and learn freely through the city and so on. But then there's another group of people that says education and schooling system is the greatest invention ever because it gives uh, kind of access to everyone. And and, uh, um, if we would go 
on the path of Ivan Ilyich, uh, there will be even more kind of inequality because those who have resources will have more learning opportunities, would do more activities. Those that don't have would not even access the, the, the poor or the bad schools that we have today. So where do you stand in this debate? Like, closed schools, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it the the whole the the whole critique of um, the institutional schooling system comes from a pretty white camp right. historically and <laughs> um, and presently and um, there it takes a lot of privilege to say we should we should close all the schools and um, just create our own alternatives out there and I also want to say right I I also wanted to say. Um, that um, there is a there is kind of a third option um, to mention as well, which <laughs> which is um, I mentioned before our roots in um, the methods and the history of popular education. I'd like mm. to give a shout out to the Freedom Universities of the world, the College Unbounds of the world, um, the organizations that are creating. Um, alternative institutions of learning. On your um, web website, you also man um, uh, mentioned the Danish folk schools. Uh, yep. Folk schools have a long history of this. Highlander, a um, hundred years ago in the U.S., Chautauqua. There's, there's a bunch historically and there's a bunch currently. And I want to mention them because I think what we should be doing as a society is we should be funding the organizations mm. at the margins led by people of color And, uh, and other groups in our society that have uh, directly suffered from marginalization, mm. uh, when they're creating their own alternatives, we should be funding them. And so I think that uh, we have to recognize that the entire school system that most people are a part of was created by white people. And for a long time, people of color were excluded from that. And uh, if other folks... Um, are creating new forms of schooling that people can have access to. We should be funding and supporting them. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now let's try to summarize this one hour uh, conversation <laughs> <laughs> with some uh, practical insights that people uh, can take away and, and do something with it. So uh, first question, any must read, and we know you have a list of uh, books on your website, but, uh, and we'll link to that. Um, but may, perhaps you can mention like your favorite. Uh, so what are some of the must read books, maybe science articles or maybe documentaries that people should uh, watch to understand either your work or, or the sources of inspiration for your work? I'm not going um, to do the, the, the canon, the education the canon. canon. I, I think that's going to be well covered mm. by this astute audience. I think that, <laughs> yeah, I think that I'm going to say that one of the most important books to our learning communities in the last year um, has been um, Emergent Strategy. Emergent Strategy. Thank you. Emergent Strategy. Um, and that one is spreading like wildfire. And it's because um, alternative learning community also means alternative organization and creating an alternative forms of organizing. So, um, of course we're hand in hand with the movements that are trying to figure that out in all different forms in the world. So that is a must read. Yeah. Mm. I'd say emergent strategy. Definitely. 
Um, another one that I'd add is, uh, that is also perhaps just more personal too, but feels like it somehow carries the spirit of the work that we're doing, um, is pattern language, a pattern language. Mm. Um, and it's actually a book written by a bunch of, um, architects, but it's Mm. kind of more about the patterns of our built environment and how they either facilitate human flourishing or don't. And it's this networked book there's a there's a lot of pieces about it that somehow feel like they're part of the ethos of of the work that we do and so mm-hmm. i would i would add that as a must read um Can I add something to yeah. that the opening paragraph to that book begins basically the something like i'm paraphrasing the most beautiful buildings are not designed by architects they're designed by people and here are the patterns so you can see mm. the connection right right it's it's really an empowering <laughs> book about really what it is to create our own lives and create our own communities. Um, and so, so I think that that's why it, it feels so true um, to the spirit of it. Yeah, th- let's say those two are, are the, the short must-read. Great. And we link to your website with the rest of the books. Oh, thank you. All right, now let's play an empathy game, a short one. We already touched on the on the story of the student who discovered the self-directed learning, but we'll try to go again through a couple of other roles. So first, imagine you are suddenly, like <laughs> today you are a teacher in a public school um, and suddenly you have like an aha moment, you realize that's not natural, everything you do and you want to explore more, to create more fulfilling learning experiences for your students. Uh, Where do you start? Organize, organize, (laughs) organize, (laughs) organize. (laughs) That's it? Sorry. No. Okay. All right. (laughs) You guys have fun. I love it. The first first thing I want to say is it is really, 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 really hard to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the expectations of you are enormous and um, the emotional pressure, the institutional pressure. And I know that the very last thing you have is time. Mm. Um, And so um, I just wanted to say that as a starting point. And so a little bit with my tongue in cheek singing, I am also trying to say you're not alone. And there are some beautiful ways in the U.S. right now that teachers are actively responding to some of the demands that have been placed upon them that are impossible to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there is a role, in my opinion, in, um, in getting together with others and um, speaking speaking against some of the kind of institutional abuses mm-hmm. um, that you're suffering so that you... Um, so that you can liberate some of your time and energy for what really matters. Um, and I think, um, it is really tragic that, um, the last time I learned the stats, maybe they've changed, but about a third of teachers drop out in the first year of teaching in the U S and by the second year it's 50%. Um, and so, um, you wouldn't be alone if you said, this is not healthy for me and I need to go do something else. And there is a, there is a groundswell of new forms of institutions, new forms of schools, um, being created, um, outside of the formal schooling system that you can participate in building if you are inspired that, that 
there's risk involved in that, of course. And mm. I, you're, you know, you're leaving your healthcare behind. And yeah. so that's why I think it is important to also mention the role of um, getting together yeah. with your other teachers and finding out um, what demands do we have. Like, I think one of the simplest ones in the U.S. is around pay and mm-hmm. is around um, uh, what what we affectionately call, um, you know, like resource officers or guidance counselors or these <laughs> sorts of like the emotional support that teachers are expected to carry in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Those sorts of things so that we can try to create conditions in schools. If if this is in theory, the place where we give access to uh, the people who really need it, where um, we recognize that um uh, we need to also create environments where uh, teachers can actually teach and do yeah. um, learning, the, make space for the learning and growth they want to, the, the reason they went into the profession. I would just clarify that I don't think that we, this is not, this does not feel like a moment to be asking more of teachers who are yeah. already being asked mm. to do more than is humanly possible, at least in our context and yeah. I'm sure in others. And so just underlining the point of, it feels like an important moment to, if we want to serve our children differently in schools, then we need our teachers to be supported differently. And that means organizing with other teachers and demanding something different mm-hmm. from our school systems, from our education um, education system. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So the second role that you need to step in um, is actually partly my story, so it's a confession as well. So imagine you didn't have the space to to ask these deep questions about what do you want to do, what do you want to learn. Uh, you didn't have these discussions in the family, neither in the school. And you are in your 30s or maybe 40s, 50s, and you suddenly say, oh, shit, like I've been empty or broken for so many years. I finally want to do this kind of exercise. And... Um, what do I do? Where do I start? Let's say I, I become an open master's student. Mm-hmm. What would be my journey or the steps? Um, <laughs> actually, some of the um, happiest um, customers of the Wayfinder kit uh, have been <laughs> people who recently retired and are like, oh my God, if I only have time to ask, time to ask these questions. Um, and... and um, um, the father of a dear friend of mine recent, recently said his goal was, you know, people have given me all these journals over the years and I think I'm going to, uh, make my goal this year to fill them all up. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think it's never, it's really never too late. Um, you've definitely got some dreams in there that, um, <laughs> can be taken off the bookshelf and dusted off and, um, Learning is a really powerful entry point into it and, and a thing that can be reignited at any time in life. Um, and I'd add, I would, I would, um, if I were with that person, I would stop them at the point where they say that they've been broken for so long mm. because we're all broken in different ways and those cracks are where the light comes in. Who, who is that though, actually? Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen, thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, bless him. Um, and, 
And that the experience of those 30 years or 20 years of perhaps being in the system or, or not activating this part of you, they're not wasted years either. You know, they led you places and they um, brought you to people and they brought you to insights that maybe can now only be revealed to you. And now that you mm. are, you know, ripen age or I don't know if that's a, a good term, but like if, now that you are, you know, have more experience to offer, that might mean that you also have a very different kind of gift to offer mm. and a different gift in the learning that you do too and the perspective that you bring to other learners. So um, I would be excited about being in a learning community with that person and um, would want to value value their story. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Um, next role. Uh, I don't I don't know if you ever won this, but <laughs> imagine you become the minister of education of a country of your choice, any country. What are the first three actions or laws that you promote? And let's say you have budget, you have influence. You, it's like it's a good place to be. <laughs> um, in a spirit of collaboration, I'll share two and then give the mic over. I think one thing that I would do is I would um, make all schools and universities open to all community members. So what does it mean to have the person whose job is also to clean the hallways, the janitor and the um, elder down the street in the same classroom and, um, and be deciding what the class is. Um, so creating... Mm -hmm co-created hubs of learning from these facilities that have been poured money into, but don't exactly, um, I think, do a good job of channeling the collective imagination that's possible in terms of how those facilities are used. Mm. Um, so that would be, that's one thing that came to me. And, um, you know, I might be stealing your thunder on this one, but, you know, Having a universal basic income um, truly feels like... Can I vote for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of unleashing what can happen in learning, giving people the resources to create um, would, would make such a diverse and rich learning landscape in our cities and in our towns. And, 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 and it would, I feel like we would be inundated with just a menu of learning everywhere we turn if people were given the resources to to design their own learning and to do so um in in a supported way in those communities in those spaces that's awesome awesome i'm gonna i'm gonna riff off of that and see if i can challenge myself to be a little bit more playful and dramatic with my ideas so <laughs> This is counter to the idea of a universal basic income for which no strings are attached. But given that that may be a politically challenging idea, one way I would start as the Ministry of Education um, is to offer learning dividends to um, all members of the community for offering the skills and knowledge they mm -hmm. have to others and to use, uh, use these facilities and all the hours that they're not occupied um, as a venue for that. So... There we go. Fresh off the <laughs> top of the brain press. <laughs> the learning dividend. 
Um, it helps that you're an economist. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> second, um, all this land um, that we're talking, thinking I liked the way you're thinking about the these these as like physical assets. Um, I would immediately make this land available to uh, permaculturists, farmer, farmers, gardeners in the community. Um, not in a small, um, like, um, schoolyard garden kind of way, but as a, like, let's, let's make functioning farms out of these school facilities and, hmm. um, and yeah, and, uh, working farms are a really powerful, um, uh, teaching environment. So let's make our, our schools greener. I would, I mean, if there's unlimited resources here, <laughs> we're talking, I would also commission community artists to be companions, be be mm. class classroom companions, and you know whoever happens to be in that class, you know, because the classroom is going to be radically different now that it's co-created by an entire community of people. Um, um, but as a way of of activating people in being able to tell their own story of learning but to do so in lots of different mediums. So what is it to have a, a ceramicist muralist on hand who is helping a group of, of learners to um, experiment with the ways in which they, they uh, express their learning or, or yeah, something, something along the lines of like, how do we express the things that are hard to express in learning and, and show that it's okay and also activate people's, um, sense of play, sense of imagination, and also, also like their motivation for being there. Like learning is fun and it's especially fun when you incorporate other modes of being. Mm. Um, so, so maybe it's also, you know, a podcaster is, <laughs> is the artist and is hosting one-on-one -on -one conversations every week. Okay. I'm going to try to grab the third rail, see how I do. <laughs> I would scrap completely standardized tests yay and redivert all funding that has been going towards that in, which is a lot um mm -hmm. uh, evaluation um and evaluating the evaluators and building the standard curriculum towards more learning resources and support for teachers mm to continue to deepen and expand their own knowledge and skills. And if we care about standards, if we care about making sure everyone gets access to everything and whatever, let's put our energy into um, more and more resources to share those things uh, with teachers and trust and believe that it is in the powerful relationship between a teacher and student that the most powerful learning happens. You have to add something. I have to. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, if if Go I on. like if you're scrapping standardized tests, then I just want to also <laughs> add this alternative idea, <laughs> alternative idea for redirecting the funds towards um, actually family counseling mm -hmm. um, for for students um, because you know the obstacles to learning when you have things at home um, that are that are violent, that are disturbing, or that are simply around basic needs, like that that's just gonna stop people from being able to learn. And and I also think that, you know, um, we'd get a lot further if 
if we spent more money on on the counseling side of things and and perhaps even restorative justice as a way of using conflict transformation mm-hmm. um, in our schools as a mode of learning, as a mechanism for learning, and not just like on the side, like, okay, Johnny and, and um, <laughs> I don't know, what's another name that is, like, like Johnny, Johnny and Sandra like get in a fight, and so here we are in the in mm. the conflict circle. But like the and and it's not like this side thing, but it's actually a central part of our learning, learning how to deal with conflict, learning how to deal with f- our feelings and our relationships is to me some of the most profound learning that we ever experience mm. in our lives, and and is sometimes the most empowering too. And so. You know, if I were scrapping tests, any standard says I'd be putting it towards that counseling and restorative justice in schools. I'd like to scrap my proposal and get behind Sarah's (laughs) instead. I think that's a much better proposal. So we have six slash seven proposals. We we can make a video clip right here and that would be a a hit. (laughs) So it's uh, Alan and Sarah, co-ministers of education. I love the idea. (laughs) Um, continuing on, on the power segment, so imagine, right, and that will be difficult because it's two of you, but let's try to come up with one answer okay. somehow. So imagine by chance or lottery, I don't know, you became the owner of all the ad space in the world, like bus tabs, banners on the internet, every single place where there is an ad. Instead of that, you become this benevolent dictators of advertising and you place a social message and it's also called the t-shirt uh, message because we try for every episode to print a t-shirt uh, with that message so what do you show tell people what well, if we were a benevolent uh did you see we use a dictator what yeah, yeah. okay Dic- <laughs> um, the advertising ad, ad dictator <laughs> okay ad ad dictator the good one i think um what we would do We'd, we'd sort of reject a part of your premise, which is that we would choose to not be the ones who have <laughs> the say in what the message is, but would actually create an ad generation machine that pulls in the ideas from people in the community and projects what is most needed to be heard in their com- in their community by them. And so you'd have a proliferation, yeah, a proliferation of wisdom in all sorts of ad spaces. Uh, from I from the it. people who have the wisdom for their their own communities. So how do we print this on a t-shirt? <laughs> it's like a, a wisdom machine. Insert wisdom can here. <laughs> can we um can we just uh print like silver on the front of a t-shirt so that um yeah it says uh something like <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> what questions do you have? Um, <laughs> Probably the one with wisdom we can do. The one with silver, I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> we, we, we can write about this idea. Okay. okay. The final one, it's not a question. It's, it's called an open stage and it's inspired by some of our friends in Austria. Where um, So this is the context. Imagine two of us here, Anna and me, we don't exist. It's just you and the camera. And so there is a person in the evening behind their laptop or the phone or actually uh, a person on a commute listening to this as a podcast and you have a chance to address them directly. The floor is yours. What are you doing right now? Why are you doing it? Who is it for? You are Stardust and 
I know that's woo woo, but quite cosmically, you are connected to the car you are driving, mm. the pavement that you're rolling across on, the tree you're zipping by, the person in the passenger seat or in the office chair next to you, and, and the apple in your hand that you've already had a bite out of. And um, whatever, wherever this day takes you, I hope that you carry some small measure of delight in that connection. Sarah, Alan, thank you for this uh, probably one hour and a half conversation. <laughs> um, it was really fun and, and a lot of ideas to process and think and try to translate them into the podcast and the video. Um, the very final bit, where can people find more about you, your work, get in touch if they have some feedback or questions after listening or watching to this? Carrier Pigeon, we accept. <laughs> <laughs> Open Master, yeah. <laughs> Openmasters.org, mm -hmm. co-create at, and at Open Masters on Twitter. And... We're not very good about social media right now. We, we can link to Great. all the resources that we find Perfect. Uh, in the show notes. So, Yep. And go, go right now, Google the Movement for Black Lives policy platform and um, understand the demands that are being made for education right now and support it. Hey there, a quick note before you head to your next adventure today. First of all, thank you for your time and support. It allows us to share stories like this with the world and do something that we truly love. Second, this episode is part of a larger project where we travel for 12 months in 40 plus countries to look for and tell stories of amazing educators, entrepreneurs and innovators who shape the future of education. If you are interested in this project or you want to find more, please head to experimentq.org or patreon.com forward slash experimentq and find more details and behind the scenes stories. Again, thank you so much for your support and time and we're looking forward to see you in our next episodes. All the best.